This is episode 49 of Essential Oils by Design. Hi everyone, you're listening to Essential Oils by Design, the podcast about essential oils and human design and how they work so beautifully together. We're your hosts, Ros Isbell and Nani Chasire, and there's three things that we're both passionate about, essential oils, human design, and making the world a better place by helping people get both in their lives. And before we go any further, I just wanted to pop in with a little explanation. Nani and I recorded this episode what seems an eternity ago now, before COVID-19 hit, that long ago. Can you remember way back then? And you'll be able to tell from this that I have a cold. Interestingly, I haven't had a cold since then. It was, uh, it was back in the days of innocence, wasn't it? Now, you'll hear us refer to a few things during the course of this particular discussion, referring to last episode. The last episode that we refer to when we're talking about the last episode was episode 44. It's called Learning to Love the Emotional Wave. Obviously not the last episode. There's been a few since then, particularly the episodes about coping with our current circumstances. So when you hear us referring to the last episode, we're talking about learning to love the emotional wave. You'll also hear Nani talking about having recently been to a parade. Well, she hasn't recently been to a parade. She hasn't recently been anywhere much. So just when you're listening to it, understand that this was actually recorded back in early February 2020. And it is now October 2020. And this isn't the only episode that we've done. We've we've actually recorded quite a few that we haven't yet put up. So get ready. I mean, obviously next episode is episode 50 when we do a celebrity chart. And we've got a whole lot of really good things, really exciting things coming up that we have already recorded. So we hope to be able to get those to you in a timely fashion. I know we've been a little bit out of whack with our timings, but there's been a lot going on in spite of the fact that there hasn't been much going on. There's been a lot going on behind the scenes. So apologies for taking so long to get an episode out to you, but hopefully you'll enjoy this one and hopefully you'll enjoy some of the other ones that we have planned for you in the very near future. Hi, Roz. Hi, Nani. So today we're going to talk about what it's like to be an empath. And what that means in your human design chart is that your emotional solar plexus is white, which can be called open or undefined. And Nani happens to have an open emotional solar plexus. So she's going to be talking a lot this week. If you happen to catch our last show, that's where we spoke or that's where I spoke about having a defined emotion center and how you can actually work with it and learn to love it and really value what it can offer you. And we thought that it would be a really good 
time now to talk about what it's like to have emotional openness and how you can learn to love that about yourself. Because of course, the energy centers all come with their highs and their lows. I'd like to call it swings and roundabouts. There's little bits and pieces that you have to know about each of the energy centers, whether you have them open or whether they're defined in your chart. Before we go any further, I just want to apologize for my voice. I've got a little bit of a hangover from a cold, so hopefully you can bear with it. And Nani, how about you kick us off by describing what it feels like to be emotionally open and and what that does for you or what it's done for you throughout your life? Sure. I'm just going to give you like the basics about the open emotional solar plexus and what it means to have it. And then I'll tell you more real life examples. I like to look at the centers in superpowers and then challenges and the keys to kind of using them in a very beneficial way to yourself. Like Raz is saying, they all can be used or you can like love what the center is all about for you. So the superpower for the open emotional solar plexus is being an empath. And why being an empath is good is because you're connecting to other people, you're feeling their emotions and you're connecting to them. And you can, I don't know, like say you have a friend who's sad, you can be there for them. The trick is, and this is like part of the challenge, if you aren't aware of this, you can take on the other person's emotion and even stronger than they have it, And then you might think it's yours and you might hold on to it for a long time too. So you could be feeling sad and not even know why. And it's not even your emotion. So that's like taking it in as a sponge. You're like kind of just like connecting with other people, but then keeping it, like taking it on and keeping it for a while. The other piece to it is that you avoid truth and conflict. That's what you're avoiding, but it's really that you just don't want to feel other people's emotions sometimes like a backlash, like maybe you're worried that you're gonna make that person angry or something like that. And so you don't say what you really feel or you say things in a certain way because you're trying to avoid it. And it just ends up making you sometimes being an avoider, which I can totally Mm -hmm. say from experience that I've done. Uh, But in reality, the other person, especially if they have a defined emotional wave, as you know, that's their emotions. And what you're saying or doing is not affecting that the way that you think it is. So the key is to let the emotions like flow through you, be more of what it would be like a screen door or screen, where it's kind of just like going through you, you're feeling it, you're connecting with the person, but you kind of let it go so that you can just go on your day with your own emotions and you're not taking on someone else's emotions, in particular, if they're negative. You can also ride on other people's emotions. Maybe there's that friend that you hang out with that's super enthusiastic and you love being around them because you're just taking in this enthusiastic energy from them. So I can tell you throughout my life, I've benefited and also had challenges from having an open emotional solar plexus. I'd say it's probably my number one center that's open that is conditioned the most. And it's mostly conditioned when I say that it's like, I'm not fully acting like myself because I'm trying to avoid these conflicts from other people. So there's a lot of things in my life that I did to try to please someone so that they they would have a happy emotion around me, if that makes sense. But 
My best example of this, I'm sure that it happened a lot when I was a younger kid and I just don't remember all of it, but when I was in college, I lived with a bunch of different girls, I guess we were women girls at the time, <laughs> and there was a lot of emotions going on. And there was actually some things that happened during that time that were really sad and probably like a lot of stress from just studying and all the college stressors and stuff like that. But I took this in and I didn't know it was mine. And I was like feeling sad all the time. And then that was like the time of my life where I was where drinking alcohol. And so I would just drink and I would cry. I probably talked about this on podcast before, but it like looking back, I was like just releasing all this emotion that I had soaked up and kept like I was this big sponge of all these emotions going around around me. And then of course there's different things get, that can help you release things. And that's what happened to me. And I totally thought I was a very sad person myself. I may or may not have been, but I kind of think looking back, I would say that I probably was taking on a lot that wasn't mine. And wouldn't life have been different if you had have known how to protect yourself and yes. how to stop feeling those emotions as your own? It doesn't mean that you have to stop feeling the emotions. What it means is you have to understand that they are not yours. And like Nani says, you know, be a screen, not a sponge. Allow them to flow through you. Feel them know what they all feel like because you know there's highs as well as lows that you get to experience when you're emotionally open and the real beauty of that is that you become incredibly wise about emotions you become incredibly knowledgeable about the whole gamut you know that the spectrum of emotions that anyone is capable of feeling and experiencing you with your emotional openness understand better than anyone does and and this is where the empath comes in because you understand what people are feeling you understand what everyone's feeling whether they be emotionally open or emotionally defined you become an emotions guru but yeah, thanks for sharing that, Nani. That's obviously it's it wasn't an easy time for you, but it must make things easier for you now, knowing that you understand what was going on for you, and and hopefully you've been able to do some healing and some forgiving and all of that sort of thing, because we do go through some rough experiences in our early days, of course. And you're a sixth line, so you would have been in the in the third line phase or the experimental phase of your sixth line at that stage so I'm sure it would have been a really interesting time in your life yes and I oh, I agree with you the third line I also that's a, that was a time when I was like more interested in being around a lot of people and doing things that were very interactive with people and not that I don't do it now but I definitely protect myself more I'm in this more integrative phase now that I know about this and have worked on it a lot, I am very sensitive. <laughs> um, so sometimes going in certain spaces with people is very interesting to me because I can feel it really intensely. It's kind of like, I think I learned this with food 
when you eat food for a long time, you kind of like build up like food that maybe bothers your body and you build up a tolerance to it. And so you kind of just, you might be like moving slower because of it, but it's kind of just like how your body is processing. And when you take that food out, this happened to me when I had kids because I had to take things out for being pregnant or whatever else or for breastfeeding or something like that. And then I could tell the difference not having that in my body. It's felt the same way for me for emotions because I think I spent probably close to 40 years (laughs) just having things stuck in me and not still not letting them go and definitely not letting them go through me. I was also probably more robust in crowds or things like that. But now, more recently, I've been to public places, like maybe there's a parade happening or an event that we go to, even like events at school for my kids. And I have a hard time being around a lot of people at one time. I can just feel it all it's actually kind of muddled because there's so many people there, but I'm definitely more sensitive to these things. And one of my strategies is I literally on purpose put a boundary up and try to avoid taking in that. So I'm like avoiding truth and conflict, but I'm avoiding it on purpose. If I know that it's something that's not gonna, that I'm not going to come out the other end feeling good from, and it's not, you know, obviously all the other people don't have bad intentions. So I don't think it's intentional, of course, but sometimes I just, I've had enough. Maybe I've worked in an office all day and then I can't handle doing that again at another time, like in the evening or something like that. Mm-hmm. So can I ask you then, as an emotionally defined person who has never had the experience of the emotional openness What does it feel like for the 51% of us who are emotionally defined? What does it feel like when you are, say, sitting in in a forest? If you're sitting in a forest and there was no one else there, you were all by yourself, so there's no one for miles and there's no electronic devices, there's nothing in your field to do any interrupting. What does it feel like for your emotional centre then? feels clear and light and I would say that it doesn't necessarily feel grounded unless I like purposely tune into that it's more like uh, freedom is coming to my mind right now and peaceful but really the feeling is like clear and light and do you get to experience that very often I do right now because I have what I call a portfolio career where I do a variety of different things and I get to work from home and I have, you know, like a separate office space where I get to be by myself. On the other side of that, I can go into the office and sometimes get more done because I'm taking in other people's energy and, you know, the defined emotional energy is very creative. So sometimes I work in partnership with other people like you, Roz, and like we can move things forward in a different way than I could by myself. Yeah, yeah. Nani, you've got an emotionally defined child. How does that play out for you? And maybe what tactics do you use to play around that? Sure. Yes, it's definitely rocked our house a little bit. 
the emotional definition that my kid has is tribal based. So it's a tribal wave. And you can definitely tell the difference when they're by themselves or around someone else. It just gets triggered by the sibling. And so I can definitely feel that. And the thing, so I can, yeah, this is a very good experience for me to like understand how this works because I feel the frustration. I take it in, I amplify it, I get frustrated and do something back that ignites them even more. And then they get more frustrated and then I get more frustrated (laughs) because I'm taking it in and amplifying it. And yeah, it's just a very interesting energy. And I know all about this stuff, um, but yet I still get caught up in feeling it and in the moment or in if you're like trying to get somewhere and you just need them to get in a better space or like just get somewhere from point A to point B. And I have learned that I need to wait. So there's like waiting. I know on the other side, like if you have emotional definition, you have to wait for clarity. And so from the empathic side, sometimes if I say, can you do this thing that we need to do <laughs> to get from point A to B? And the, and the answer is no. If I keep pushing on it, then it just gets amplified. But if I just wait like three minutes, then all of a sudden it's like they came up with the idea and yes, they would love to do it. And now it's time to go. <laughs> so that's one strategy is just check, trying out waiting. Yeah. Just to like let the emotions kind of process through them. Sometimes I have to leave the room. Sometimes I have to lock myself in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> sometimes we go outside and that can be really helpful for both of us. But it is really hard for me when the energy last a long time because my kids are a little bit younger there's still the energy of like being frustrated or powerless or maybe like a crying energy where the noise that comes from it is also like makes me cringe and so sometimes I just like literally have to get out of that energy and some some of it is just about being proactive with with it knowing that this is going to happen every day (laughs) whatever it is, like something, something's going to happen. I know it will get calmer maybe, but for right now, my husband and I are very good about alternating time. If I was a single parent, honestly, I don't know what I would do. I give a lot of credit to single parents. I have someone to pass them off to in a loving way so that we can like just get that auric break. And usually when they're with the other parent, then it's like, fine. So sometimes it's just like, I've ignited the energy just by being (laughs) there. (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting. And I grew up also with emotional parents. So when I look back, I can see being the empath in that relationship as well. And the one thing that I remember is like my siblings, either of them would, if they would get in trouble, I would like, I would cry and I'd get so upset because I was like feeling my parents getting, you know, frustrated, which I can see now as a parent, why you do that. And then I can see like my siblings getting upset. So I was just like feeling all that emotion as well. I have a very dear friend who is emotionally open and has a couple of emotionally defined children. And she came up with this saying, 
so it's not put the kids in the naughty corner when they're high on or low on their emotions. It's put mummy in the naughty corner. And I just thought that was brilliant. You know, you, you're the one, if it's possible, and I understand, you know, that sometimes when you're dealing particularly with young kids that it's not possible. But if it's possible, you just you need to get out of their space like you, know, you do when you go into your study and when you go outside you need to go somewhere where you can get out of their aura and it's amazing how nature soaks up auras beautifully but when you're inside you know you can often feel it a lot more so yeah I, I always remember that it's like put mummy in the naughty corner because it's not that anyone's being naughty and this is the thing this is one of the important things to grasp about this is that your emotionally defined child is not deliberately trying to annoy you by experiencing their their emotions it's who they are it's how they are designed they are designed to have emotions but um, sometimes they do get the better of some of us. And I guess what we really want to talk about today too, as well as what it feels like, is what we can do about it. And you outlined a few of your own strategies there, Nani. But have you got any suggestions for essential oils that you might, might use to calm other people down who might be emotionally defined or to protect yourself or perhaps both? So the oils, I'm going to start with the emotionally defined, at least being a parent, putting them on your child. This is my idea is you want to get to that three minutes later when they think something's awesome and that it's their idea. So yeah. it's like about brightening it. So I pick like citrus oils or a mm. blend like Joyful Blend or Elevation Blend or I don't know if those are the same names in Australia yeah. or one of the kid blends. Um, They're amazing, aren't they? Yeah. So I just, some definitely something to roll on because sometimes the kid is very upset and you just need to get it on them and they don't always want you to put essential oils on them, I've learned, but it, it helps <laughs> as the parent. Um, so my, yeah. Oh, I, I can just <laughs> chime in there and say that as my daughter gets a little bit older, she's far more willing to have them put on her than she was when she was younger. So there is light, <laughs> Nani. I, I, yeah. I, give, I, I bring you hope <laughs> that um, she does really enjoy having them put on, even if she doesn't like the smell because she just knows they work. We have regular foot massages in the morning because you know, she, her emotions sometimes take over. Yeah. And you can even put it I, I know a friend of mine has emotional children and the car ride to and from school every day was very hard and sometimes they were carpooling which like just ignited it even more so there's more kids in the car so she stuck oil on a cotton ball and stuck it in like the vent yeah. and so then when you're driving it just like kind of calms the mood you could do that at home with a diffuser or something too um, you can I've, get car diffusers too, which, yeah. you know, if you've, if you've got that dynamic happening in your family with emotionally defined and non-emotionally defined people, you might find that to be a brilliant investment. And I also think that it's very powerful to empower your kids to use them themselves to help identify their emotions. And I've seen people... We do this a little bit too, but like tie them to the characters of Inside Out and like 
this is for younger kids that can't totally identify with like big emotional themes or words. The but film anyways, inside out. Is that what you're talking about? The, the film yes. inside out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you can, it, and it doesn't even matter if you have the, like the right match. You just have to let your kids smell some oils and see what they like. And if it boosts their mood, that's good. <laughs> like that's the good one. So you can make a little self-care kit with essential oils and maybe a few other things, a worry stone or crystal or something like that. Yeah. Um, helping your emotional lead to find <laughs> kid, but you can do the same thing. I have one child that's an empath as well. And this is a huge thing in their life. A, like going to school. I mean, think about all the kids you're around and like cafeteria has like 10 times more kids in your class. And there's just like all these emotions around them. And no, no wonder like this could happen even in daycare or in like school or like high school. Then you come home and your kids might be cranky with you, but no wonder because they've been like trying to digest all the <laughs> emotions all day long. So the same soothing kit and oils could help them as well. And it's probably even more important. No, I don't know if it is more important, but I'm just assuming that because I'm an empath. <laughs> it's like, it's very important <laughs> for both. So, yeah. So I have tried putting on like on guard before I go into a space that I know there's going to be a lot of people, but I'm finding even knowing what I know and like practicing what I practice, it's not like you can try to think of something that's like comparable. So you can go into the space having a good intention and using the essential oils, but it can, it can be easily punctured because in the moment of things and how fast emotions, like emotions are energy in motion and all these things are happening so fast. So I typically more likely need to release something after the fact because I don't necessarily catch it, but I do now catch if I'm like all of a sudden angry and I wasn't angry when I started the thing or all of a sudden happy and I wasn't, I don't know. I mean, it can go both ways, obviously. So I use marjoram or melaleuca. You can have a rollerball or just the essential oil in your purse and, or in your jacket and just like put it on when you need to. Once you tune into this more, you're going to feel these things very strongly and you'll know when it's not yours and that you want to let it go. I picture myself, for some reason, I, if I'm putting like the direct oil on, I put it on my thumb and I put it like right between or like right down my neck into like towards my chest. That's a place I learned from an acupuncturist where emotions can get attached, but I'm just naturally am drawn to doing that. I know also on the back of your neck, you can like you can draw a T back there on your neck and shoulders and that can help or the back, like lower back of your spine. If something's really bothering you, like you've held on to something for a really long time, that's when you can use like a more powerful one, like lemongrass or oregano. Definitely dilute them before you put them on. You could do it like Roz says and have a daily practice of something. I have to admit, I'm not very good at that. I'm more, I'm better at catching something right after it's happened and then trying to clear it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I often advise is if your child is emotionally open or, you know, fairly open in 
any of their centres really. It is a really good idea to help them to protect their energy by putting something like On Guard or Tea Tree Melaleuca or Terra Armour, which is called Terra Shield. Terra Shield in the States or Lemongrass. Any of those type of protective oils on the soles of your kids' feet before they put their socks on in the morning to go to school because that will help them, that will energetically protect their auras and just make functioning easier, especially from, you know, the perspective of someone who is emotionally defined. I do actually find it quite difficult. You know, I know, I know, and I understand philosophically because of my understanding of human design what's going on but I can't even begin to imagine how it must feel especially how it must feel for a little kid with open emotions walking into the schoolyard for the first time and then having to get up and do it again every weekday for the next 12 years you know take on everyone else's emotions and you know, a lot of people don't have great emotions about school. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. And anything that you can do for your emotionally open child that can assist them in protecting their energy, especially their emotions, is going to make their life easier. It's going to make it easier for them to concentrate on their schoolwork, if that's what is needed. It's going to make it easier for them to be in a good place. You know, it's going to make it less exhausting for them. They're going to be in a better place when they get home in the afternoon. So, yeah, it's just a nice thing to be able to do. I was just thinking as you were talking there, Raz, about another thing that's important as an adult or when you're a kid or when you have kids or for anyone is that sometimes crying is just the best thing to do. Like, making sure your kids know it's okay to cry because I'm guessing as a baby I probably cried more because I was probably like feeling emotions even at that yeah. stage yes <laughs> and maybe and I can see it in my kids as well especially like after they're around big big groups of people and I can imagine even being emotionally defined crying could be helpful so it's, I just want to I felt like I needed to say that because sometimes that's the release you need yeah, I totally agree with you. There's this real stigma around crying, isn't there? Oh, don't cry, you know, stop crying or your cry baby or whatever it happens to be. Uh, you know, we, we, we get triggered when we see somebody crying, whether it's because of our own emotional openness or whether it's because we don't want them to be upset or whether it's because we're frustrated because they're crying and they shouldn't be in our minds they shouldn't be because we've been conditioned to think that you don't cry i think it is really important to see it especially for kids as an outlet as an opportunity to let release some of this built-up energy and allow it to happen you know maybe don't allow it to go on and on and on but i would almost guarantee nine times out of ten certainly this has been my experience if you allow the crying for a couple of minutes, it stops and it's gone. And so is the problem. So yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with you on that one, Nani. Absolutely. So Nani, I just want to come back to 
the fact that when you're emotionally open, you are designed to make decisions in the moment. I talked at length in the last episode about being emotionally defined and how emotional definition means that you're designed to wait for clarity and what that looks like and what that feels like and how it feels really, really good once you get to that stage of clarity and how there's wisdom in waiting for the emotional wave to do its thing because you actually come up with the wise answer in the end. I'm wondering from your perspective what that looks like and if I can just go on a little bit longer things like answering emails I know for me with my emotional definition I need to sit on things to to allow that wisdom to come through but for somebody who's emotionally open is it a matter of answering things straight away is it a matter of you know what does it look like to make decisions in the moment for you that is a good question I think that something like an example of answering an email might not fit into what the intention of making the decision in the moment is. It's about following your authority. And I'm, of course, a generator, so I can only speak from that. But it's about making, like, if someone asks me the yes or no question, or I asked it to myself, and I could answer it for myself. It's like, if someone asks me, do you want to do this? yes or no, whatever I say, uh-huh or uh-uh, that is the right decision. If they ask me an open-ended question, it doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, it doesn't mean that I have to answer it right away because I'm still not necessarily clear on what the yes or no question is or like what my body is saying about it because my mind is still like trying to figure out like it could be multiple things or I guess, I guess I'm getting even the root mixed up with this sometimes about doing something in the moment because sometimes I have an open root and it's pressure to get things done. So sometimes that triggers me to do things just to check them off my list. But then there are times with emails, and I'm just using emails as an example because you can you know, translate this to other areas of your life. But sometimes if I think that there's going to be something negative coming from the email, I will avoid it until I'm ready to like deal with it. So and usually, usually they're fine, but I'm like, or if I have a negative relationship with a person where it's like kind of an overall feeling, I'm trying to like not have too many of those in my life, but sometimes like at work, you can't really avoid them. The whole email will have that feeling and then I'll avoid it until I have to deal with it. Can you use can you use some of those protective protocols to sort of get you in the right energetic space before you attack them? Does that sometimes work for yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I've got to deal with this nasty email. I'm going yeah. to slather myself in on guard. <laughs> I actually like say it's a work situation. I clear my space every day before I go in there, and I do put on guard all over everything in my space so that I kind of start the day right I I still I mean I'm definitely still working on it I think I still get caught up I personally also don't think that avoidance is a bad strategy I'm just telling you that I do it on purpose sometimes because I mean I'm, of course you can't avoid everything and you can't always like delay on time because sometimes things have to get done but sometimes waiting until I'm ready. 
yeah, until I'm in that space where I feel protected or grounded or, yeah, it's probably more about feeling grounded in that space, like tuning into this. If I felt grounded, I could handle whatever it is. And I'm, like I said, I'm really trying to let these things be a screen and not a sponge. And I am opening emails sooner or easier than I, I have in the past where I'm like, okay, I'll just deal with it, whatever it is. Yeah, I totally agree with you that avoidance is absolutely a strategy to have in your toolkit. It might not always be possible. It might not always be practical. It might not always be the right thing for you to do. But it is a strategy and it's a, it's a viable strategy because if you know that somebody's going to be low on their wave or somebody, if you know somebody happens to be low on their wave, avoid them, avoid them if it's possible. You don't need to go there. There is no rule that says that you must be in somebody's auric space. I say to my clients often, you know, you have permission to remove certain people from your life if they are affecting your energy. I talk about in particular my open G center and what I feel that does for me is to have an extremely low tolerance for negativity in my life. And I think there's a fairly strong correlation between negativity and people who are constantly experiencing low emotions. And of course, some people who are constantly experiencing low emotions are going through a really tough, difficult time and they need others around them. And some people don't need others around them and they just choose to be in that space and they choose not to do anything about it. Sometimes it might, you might feel that it's your responsibility. Sometimes you might feel it is and it is not in fact your responsibility. But anyway, the point of what I'm trying to say is that you need to give yourself permission sometimes to remove yourself from a situation. In fact, that is the safest thing to do. It's the safest thing to do. You know, it's like put mummy in the naughty corner, take mummy out of the equation. If she's the one with the open emotion center, because it's the easiest thing to do. If you are emotionally open and you walk into a room and you can feel the tension and you're feeling it in your emotion center, then if it's a viable thing, turn around and walk out. It's completely fine. It's a matter of tuning into what's going on around you. And as Nani said, the more aware you become of this information, the less capable you are of not being aware of what's going on. So, but, but it's a gift. It really is a gift. It will keep you healthier. It will keep you healthier if you continue to expose that very fragile, beautiful, strong, resilient, open emotions center to low emotions and allow it to continually amplify these low emotions. It has a very strong potential for, you know, affecting your health. So you owe it to yourself. You owe it to those who rely on you to keep yourself healthy and happy emotionally and to avoid situations if it's possible that you know are going to cause you potential long-term problems. You can also probably speak your truth more than you thought because the other part of that is like avoiding conflict or truth or whatever. And if, yeah, it, it only ends up hurting you to not speak your truth about something yeah. And you don't have to be mean, obviously, but... Um, we are always kind. And you always can speak your truth to yourself. 
that's, that's part of it. It's like, do I really want to go to this thing? If you know that you're going to something that is, that you're going to come out of drained on the other end, that thing, that thing, whatever it is, if it's like an hour thing or a couple hour thing or a trip that you take or some, I don't know, whatever would cause you to take in emotions and then feel depleted at the end, it better be worth it to yeah. actually decide to go <laughs> because there's a lot of things that I say no to now that I used to in this, when I was in the state of like the fog or whatever, <laughs> where I was just powering through the, st the stuff and like holding it in for a long time. I, I went to a lot more things that I didn't want to go to. And then I came out the other end, I could get, I would get sick. I would feel tired. I wouldn't be able to have energy to do the stuff that I wanted to <laughs> in my life. And if it's worth it to you, then try to set up your protective bubble or release afterwards and then just pay attention to just how it's affecting you and knowing what is yours and what is not yours. Yeah. So I think that just about brings us to the end of this really interesting discussion. Thank you, Nani. I, for one, have learned a huge amount. I hope everyone else has too about what it feels like and protocols and implications and all of those sorts of things, which, you know, we're, we're almost split down the middle. There's 51% of us who have emotional definition and 49% of us who are emotionally open. So we are all being affected in one way or another and we are all surrounded by people who are different to us, who are either open if we're defined or vice versa. So just knowing this information, having the awareness of what's going on for other people is so incredibly helpful. So we shall wrap it up now. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in knowing more about what Nani and I do, we both have human design businesses. We both have essential oils businesses and you can find out more about those by going to either of our websites. Nani's website is humandesigntools.com, humandesigntools.com. My website is findyournaturalgroove.com and you'll find all sorts of good things on our websites, all sorts of information, free resources, and you can find out about our essential oils businesses and what we actually do for you in human design. So thanks for listening once again, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, Nani. Bye, Raz. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.